So welcome to the second episode of the Roundtable of Rehab with your co-hosts, Michael and Rohan. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about wrestling and strength training, how we program it, how we navigate it, training and intensity, and all that good stuff. And jiu-jitsu as well. That's your sport. And jiu-jitsu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, of course. So what we're going to talk about today, specifically first topic or first bit of this topic would be training intensity and duration, which is a really common thing we see a lot in athletes and a lot of... uh, Injuries can come from mismanaging the intensity and duration. Absolutely. Um, so personally, my experience is that I started training martial art first, then I went to the gym, but then I didn't really know how to navigate like either. I just kind of did one, had a couple of hours break, then went to the other and I was like PB in the gym. And then I got to wrestle hard or like train jujitsu hard. And then that's what, that's what gains are. Like you just push hard, adapt to stress. and then I'll No pain, no gain. No pain, no gain, which is stupid. But, um, <laughs> but then I quickly uh, came to the realization that I was becoming very, very, very tired and exhausted and I couldn't recover. Injured. Injured of body. Like, you know, my stress levels were completely out of whack, cortisol levels and everything like that. Hormone regulation, gone. Uh, hormones are all right. I mean, it's less like, yeah, but it, it did... It did feel, I felt a great level of fatigue and it was like for what, 16 weeks? And you couldn't even take in any of the concepts you were learning at the time, were you? That's the law of diminishing return. So that's an actual thing. If you go, like if you're a beginner and you go and like smash things like straight out the bat five times a week. You'll get the gains and you'll get them. you get the You basically plateau very quickly because there's only so much that you can take on board, which is why I really like naps. And that's another topic that we're going to talk about another time, but... Uh, helps with consolidation, so that's part of my recovery. But I quickly realized that it's not sustainable, for one. I'm not doing well, and I was quickly getting frustrated because of this, because um, I was tired as well. Didn't help. And then I just thought, all right, well, I'm going to have to feel, like, figure out a way to periodize this and yeah. play, play it smart because I want my, my goal is not in 12 weeks for a competition. I don't compete yet. Uh, Rohan compete. competes, he's a, he's a competitor. Very good. Um, oh, thanks, bro. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, but yeah, so that's mine is a very long term goal. So I have to figure out uh, how to navigate that. And periodization is a term that gets thrown around quite a lot. Probably not in the best context, but we talk about a little bit briefly about it today. Actually, the entire the entire episode is sort of based on that, right? You know, resource um, delegation and all that. Yep. So with the training intensity and duration, generally the more intense your training is, the uh, the shorter the session will be. So the duration is a shorter period because intensity is so high. If you're smashing back-to-back sessions in a day, you generally want to be doing uh, either a high-intensity, shorter sessions or a lower-intensity, longer session. So for me, I, I do powerlifting and wrestling uh, both at a high level and I do compete as well. So I generally would do double sessions in a day. So sometimes I'll do my powerlifting early in the morning or after work and then straight to my wrestling maybe an hour or two hours later or later in the day if I've already had a session in the morning. And that session would be generally a lighter session in the gym. So a bit more of a... The session's quite short because you know, I still got to go to work and all that, but the intensity isn't as high if I'm kind of focusing on a, on a meet for... Um, sorry, a competition for wrestling. I'll be generally keeping my powerlifting dialed back a little bit in terms of intensity because I want to focus more on, on wrestling. And that comes down to resource delegation and where you putting your resources and all where you're periodizing your training because I've definitely found it over the years a challenge and I've sort of nutted it out now which will go through a little bit of my special 
resource delegation, but I would generally go hard in each session. So I would have gone hard in gym and then go hard in wrestling and then I would just get burnt out. Mm, exactly. So what I do now is I will be like, okay, I've got a comp in 12 weeks for, for powerlifting, but there's no comps for the rest of the year for wrestling. Yeah. So I'm going to ramp up the powerlifting training and dial back the wrestling training a little bit. Yeah. I'll still do my sparring. I'll still do my, my technical stuff, but the intensity in terms of being shark tanked, which is a term we use in wrestling where you got, you're in the... Yeah, you get, you're in the middle and yeah. you got 10 dudes lined up and you'll you'll spar for a 30 seconds to a minute just back to back with these dudes for 40 minutes straight. Yeah, we do that in grading. We have the shark tank as well. So yeah, the per- yeah, uh, person that's getting the new belt yeah. in the middle and three, what was it? Like two and a half, three hours of yeah. just absolutely um, getting slaughtered. It's a, a it's quick fun. it's a quick tactic that my coach, Connor Evan, uses to kind of ramp up the intensity but also the, the cardiovascular um, style training and the hit style training you needed for wrestling. But at the moment, like looking at getting back in the platform quite soon for powerlifting mm. and uh, Commonwealth Games no longer is hosting wrestling as a sport. So the goal for Commonwealth Games isn't there. I'm going to be focusing a bit more on powerlifting right now. So the training for wrestling is dialed back. I'll go in, I'll be very, very light and I won't go too hard because I need to spend my resources a bit more carefully on yeah. powerlifting. So you're basically doing some sort of like in-season style training for powerlifting, yeah. whereas... What I'm currently doing is an off-season styled approach. So my volume's increased. Um, I can probably get away with training a little bit more intense and doing more sessions in terms of jujitsu and sparring and rounds like that because my I don't have to manage my fatigue as much as you um, or just like focus on a particular modality as much as well. Yeah, like when it comes to powerlifting comps or just the wrestling comps, it is very hard for the body to kind of delegate where resources need to be effectively mm. i found so trying to train for strength endurance yep. wrestling and trying to train for pure train for pure power powerlifting you can only you can do both but you can't do both at a high level and i accepted that fact all right if i stopped wrestling completely i'd be a way better powerlifter if i stopped powerlifting completely i'd be a way better wrestler but i enjoy both sports and that's the other thing you need to find something that you enjoy doing Absolutely. And that's what we just call beast training. So you're being the jack of all trades, master of none, but you're still pretty good at both. Yeah, that's exactly it. And that, I think that's a really good way to like go about it. And I think that that is starting to become new in a lot of different sports. So sprinters obviously have like strength training, uh, rugby athletes, strength training, uh, uh, footy players, runners, very, very important to have strength training. Like and jujitsu people as well as wrestlers, everybody in martial arts, everyone has to have some sort of time in the weight room ggp uh, gpp work yeah, strength conditioning hit training absolutely yeah. and we'll go into a little bit of like how i program um for just like yeah how do you program your particular clients to yeah. do both those sports so um this is actually I, I learned this from the the guys at kinematics um awesome dudes there so i've learned a fant like a great amount of de- um information about programming and just uh where to put particular exercise and how to uh manage um, athletes as well. That's important because you can give them an exercise, but it needs to be very timely. It does have, yeah, it has to be suitable to their goal as well. So, uh, but you can give like a general, like, you know, full body program, but it has to still be specific to them. But so what I usually do is I, and this is like, like I said, I've learned this from these guys and I employ it with everybody now, which is fantastic. I do a movement prep, which goes from like five to 15 minutes at the very start of the training session. So that incorporates your mobility, whatever they specific to them, what they need. Um, also if you're just like just general athletes, or whatever, like I've got a couple of things that I can just uh, give them. Then you go into your activations. So 
again, specific to them. And activation is a little bit of a buzzword right now, but I made a post on it. Everybody can go check it out. <laughs> and rather than me just like, <laughs> like lose my shit about it because it was a bit of an annoying topic. If you're injured and you need, you need pre-activation, do it. If you're an athlete and you need pre-activation, do it. No, sorry, everybody should do it. You're preparing yourself for a really, you know, arduous training session. You're not going to go and just like squat 200 kilos. You're not going to go and just wrestle and spar like as soon as you take your shoes off. It's just doesn't work like that. You got to have movement preparation, and that's the next uh, like phase of the um, basically the, the warm up like that I do is movement prep. And if it's an athlete, it's just like general getting your temperature, increase your heart rate up a little bit so that you, your body's like, you know, I'm ready to go. Like, and it bleeds into that um, training session. Do you make that particular section a bit more specific to the sport, whether it be light rolling? Always, or, always. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that movement preparation is movement prep for them. So for example, if you're going to do, let's say, uh, arbitrarily, you're going to do a deadlift, you would do some like, you know, maybe some uh, glute bridges or some sort of like GHD curls. Yeah whatever it might be some sort of hip extension uh kind of like primer activation and then go do it in wrestling handstands uh forward rolls backwards rolls cartwheels uh wrestling warmers are very athletic and also very gymnastic style exactly because think about the movement that you're going to be doing like directly after that is that you're going to be cartwheeling over someone and you're going to be doing like a double leg takedown oh yeah so even like a quick you know medicine ball like up in the air catch and then throw at a wall uh, like two sets of six of that, boom, done, you're ready to go. At the moment, we're doing soccer, wrestling style soccer. Wrestling style soccer. It's so good. Yeah, well, I'll get go. some footage for it, I'll put it up, it's so good. Yeah, because it's um, it's like it's like the gamification yeah, of, of, of training, but it's, yeah, get getting it fun. Up, get sweat in, done. Sweat on, so. That's 15 minutes of that. Yeah. 15 minutes of all that stuff, so you, it's like a circuit training. You bang, do it, cool. Well, I feel I feel warm now. People might feel like they might be fatigued from that, but you generally feel you pretty good. Like we, yeah. I've never gone into a wrestling match except for last nationals because of just technical issues, but I've never gone to a wrestling match cold. I've always worked a beaded sweat. I've probably felt like I've done two or three of hard rounds before I've gone into, onto the actual mats. Cause I yeah. want to feel like I want to replicate my warm up as if it's a. Yeah, match. absolutely. But you're never going to get fatigued from, from doing any of that stuff because it's very low yield and it's just, and if we were to get fatigued from exercise like that, we wouldn't be doing well as a, as a species. So um, so that's, it's just to prepare and it's just to general preparedness. Really. Yeah. yeah. It's just a neural primer. And then that goes into your, uh, primary, uh, focus. Now, if it was just like a general athlete that I've been, um, like working with, so soccer, footy, whatever, I would start off with some sort of, uh, velocity based, like power work or plyometric work at the start. That's just really quick that they can get through maybe two exercises, like a quick superset couple of like, you know, maybe three sets each, uh, six, like, you know, four to six reps, just quick, have a couple minute break. Um, just to get that at like, you know, that explosive trainingness, um, in. So, and I would work through like the plyometric continuum. Usually it's just an easy way to kind of, um, program, but that's another uh, topic. And then what I do from there is, so that would be like V1. And then what I would do is I'll go into my, like my A1, which is my primary strength, which is specific to them. It could be like a lower body. Um, clean and jerks, squats. Oh, clean and jerk would be more power, but like, yeah, exactly. So it could be squat and whatever they might need. Do what they need, like anterior dominant. So quad, uh, front foot elevated split squats. Like, could be that go a bit heavy, and then you would go into and an how accessory. Does that or, to well, think about 
and those of you that don't really know about martial arts or wrestling stance or like athletic stance or anything like that, is that usually in this like split leg position. So, and majority of the time you're, unless you're a powerlifter, you're always going to be predominantly on like loading one foot, yeah. one leg. So rotational power and anti-rotational capabilities and core strength and single limb stability and strength power, yeah. whatever, is paramount in martial arts and wrestling. Even in bodybuilding and powerlifting should incorporate it. So if you do a squat, you do a split squat because you're training your limbs to manage and... Well, if like, you walk out of squat, you're actually on one leg for a period of time. Exactly right. Exactly. So it's just specific to them. So, and how, how it might look. So for example... Um, soccer players like you use a lot of adductors everyone I love adductors adductors are the most underutilized group ever but anyway um, soccer players let's just hypothetically they use a lot of adductors right so you might start off with some sort of um, side lunge or Cossack squat potentially you might do a sumo um, style deadlift or a sumo squat or anything like that then you go into front good one I found is a sumo style belt squat yeah exactly and then so you could do that and then you would basically do like, you know, adduction slash extension work. You might go into doing some sort of antagonistic movement. So banded hip flexions or whatever it might be. Then you might do like some calves and you might do like a tricep. And that's your first primary strength movement thing. And then you go into your secondary strength movement thing, which is upper body usually. Or I like to do upper body at the end. And you can switch it around. So you go lower body first, then upper body might like, depends on really like who's in front of you, what they like, but... I like to then do some like upper body. But you're being more specific to the sport, which is the, the sort of the topic that we're yeah. going through today is like being specific to their sport. You have to yeah, get, you have sure. to give exercises that's going to complement or supplement their particular t- style of training, whether it be for strength endurance or whether it be for just static strength or if the athlete does both. Yeah, exactly. And it could be like a rotate, like, you know, uh, like single limb, uh, like anti-rotation thing for like a footy player. Like you might do, you know, unilateral incline chest press, whatever you might, then you might go into uh, a vertical unilateral pull and then you might like, that could be it. And then the next, that works time, well for strikers as well. That works well for everybody. We're all got the same, like, you know, anatomy and structure. Obviously we're all different catered to the, spe- uh, the, you know, the, the requirements of the individual, sure. Preface that. But yeah, you can still train these things regardless of uh, whatever sport that you're doing. You're yeah. still getting your your whole body strong. I'm a big believer that you have to have like everything has to be strong. You can't leave anyway. no stone unturned. No, absolutely. So I start with that and then there might be a second day which just does the antagonists of whatever I've worked on that first day. Yeah. That's And two days a week usually is pretty optimal for some sort of like if you're an athlete that's really primarily focused on the, on their sport. I found that that works at the moment currently with my, with my current knowledge. Uh, that might change. Who knows? And then at the end there's usually some sort of core work or conditioning or capacity based work if needed. If or potentially some rehab if they're dealing with a, an injury or niggle, mm, um, they can even incorporate that rehabilitation style approach in their movement prep if they if they need to. But that's usually the gist of how I program and the concept I follow. Yeah. So it's not like a cookie cutter program that everyone. No, gets. it's very specific. No. It seems very individual. Yeah. So it's like I I can navigate easily. All right. So I've got my template in front of me. They need this, 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 and this, and that's going to be a really good substantial program which will yield really good results and then they're going to uh, like, you know, get better at the sport. Quite malleable as well, I'd assume as well. 100%, it's always malleable. Like you're never going to have some sort of like fixed program. So, no. Because you got to cater for like uncertainty in life. 100%, that's why I offer like, well, 
we both kind of like do like clinical coaching, which is specific to them, but it combines osteo and coaching. Like, what do you need? What are your goals? Sweet. If you got an injury, how do we mitigate that while you're yeah. still training for comps? Exactly. Absolutely. If you want to get there, we're going to program you according to you, according to what you want and how and what you need. And we're going to get you there. So that's just how I program. Yeah, it's probably a little bit different to how I program. Um, I use my brother as a big example. So just for his particular needs and occupation, he requires a lot more um, strength endurance. He's still a powerlifter and he still powerlifts, but he's backed off that particular okay. sport a little bit. Okay. And... You know, we focus a lot on more. Uh, we focus a lot more on the anaerobic kind of capacity of training, the heat style capacity of training, and yeah. sort of bring in his ability to utilize energy without using um, oxygen. Yeah, and, and getting that sort of lactic acid build up and that fatigue build up. But we want a sustained, high intensity style of training. So, for him, at the end of his uh, powerlifting programming or powerlifting style of training, I prescribed him just sort of a, a fifteen minute circuit, whether it be explosive box jumps into like bowl slams into sprints and finish off with a sled pull at the end that sort of stuff yeah, and that's going to complement his occupation and his style of wrestling training but also powerlifting as well mm. um, for me when it comes to powerlifting and, and wrestling and doing both sports together I found it quite difficult in the beginning to manage my fatigue because I wanted to do both at a high level and I still try and do that but in a bit more of a smarter mm, way. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. So what my coach does, he's, he'll look at the comps that I've got for wrestling and he'll be like, okay, you got to comp this this particular part of the year and a comp at this particular part of the year. We're going to increase your intensity volume. So increase your intensity training here and then we're going to increase your volume here. And he kind of dissects that and you need to get a coach that will do that and just... Yeah, for sure. Another thing irritates me more when a coach or just a clinical practitioner doesn't take into consideration what other goals you have. Absolutely, that's a massive thing. Otherwise, you're chasing your own tail. Yeah, exactly. So going back to you know, if I'm peaking for a powerlifting comp at the end of the year or beginning of next year, my wrestling training now is is very light. It's not intense at all, and I won't even do any sparring. I'll just do technique work because I've got, obviously got to keep sharp, keep technical. I it's easy to gain cardiovascular uh, endurance and 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 your VO2 max and all that sort of stuff. It's easy to get that back, right? Mm. But when it comes to off season for powerlifting training. I will generally focus more on my wrestling and that's when I bring my sparring in a lot more and I'll, I'll do a lot more of that sort of high intensity, short burst kind of training, that hit style training because that's more respective of wrestling. Because a wrestling match, it's three, it's uh, two three minute rounds or six minutes entirely depending if you get submitted or get the points. Yep. It's very, very intense and you get passivity uh, points deducted against you if you're being too passive as mm. well. So you actually have to engage in that combat sport. Yeah. Um, so at the moment, I'm looking at peaking for a particular comp. So my wrestling is pretty chill right now. But if I were to need to get my um, my cardiovascular style training back and my endurance back really quickly, I'd be adding those short hit style training at the end of my powerlifting training. Yeah, exactly right. So it's yeah. like it's not really programming specificity, but it's programming just the, what I require for for wrestling, and that's that endurance, that strength endurance. Yeah, exactly. And and it comes down to the recovery and peaking for comps as well. Mm. So whenever I've got a powerlifting comp or just a wrestling comp, you've got to dial back the resources from the other. All right? So you have X amount of resources, you have X amount of um, expenditure, and then you have Y amount of of recovery, right? Exactly. It'd be very stupid to, to... spar for 40 minutes after a wrestling session and, you know, you're two weeks out from a a powerlifting comp. No, you'd be absolutely cooked. Injury's going to be there. Recovery's not going to be there. Um, You're fatigued. You're not not burning out, but 
you're on the cusp of, of burning out and not being able to perform at your best. So when it comes to uh, powerlifting for me and peaking, I generally taper off the wrestling training at least the intensity four to six weeks out. So I'll stop my sparring, but I'll keep my technical training in. So I'll do my technique work, my drills, but it's very low impact and it's very low intensity. Yeah. So I can sustain that duration. Yeah, and the inverse is the same for powerlifting, right? So if I'm going for a wrestling comp, I'll uh, dial back the intensity of training, but I'll keep the volume there. Motor patterns, right? Yeah. So repetitive motor patterns. And that's generally how my coach and for both wrestling and powerlifting kind of coincide together and work together to collaborate for my particular needs as an athlete. So, yeah. and it, when it comes to recovery as well, Michael, what are some of the things that you prescribe for some of your athletes or just for yourself when it comes to, you know, you're bringing that intensity in and you're, you're not peaking for a comp, but you're sort of at the end of a block of training, whether it be six months from now. Like, what is it something that you kind of got to think about for, for those people? Yeah, so basically for myself and for my athletes, uh, or just like my, my patients as well, clients, whatever, um, I really like to make sure that they're getting in a good amount of sleep, like really good nutrition, good stress management, that's massive. Um, a good amount of like, just like just general movement. So as well as like, they're not just, you know, stagnating after like training block or anything like that. And they go, oh, I'm not training. I was like, I'm just going to sit still. It's like, no, keep moving. Keep like, like you said, it's um, keep utilizing those movement patterns. Even if it's like, you know, like a, like a deload week it might be, which is basically just reduce the volume by 50%, whatever. And then just use those skills because if you don't use it, you lose it, right? So um, that and hydration. I think I didn't say that, but um, those are usually, I think there's like five things that I say. The biggest one I'd say is, yeah, stress and cortisol because it's not just stress yeah. from training or the, the stress you acclimate no. from training. Nah, that's so that's good like, stress. That's yeah. very, very, that's adaptable stress, which is what you need to get better, but it's what, more what, like... What's work looking like? What's your exactly. what's your outside of training yeah. life looking like? What are your relationships like? How's life at home? Have you just recently moved out? Are you financially stable? Like... All those different considerations can have uh, an effect on your training and your performance, especially like in your sport. So I basically, I ask them, I, I ask everybody, how is all this going? And if, um, usually my rule of thumb is that like if three out of the five of those things are not doing too well, chances are your recovery is not doing too well either. So therefore you can't really maximize um, the benefit of like the training that you're doing. So, and you can't yeah. sustain a peak either. Like trying to sustain no. a peak, whether it be from like combat training perspective or powerlifting, a peak is a peak. Yeah. It's going to taper off eventually. It's not sustainable. Yeah. And this idea that you can sustain is absolutely garbage. Yeah. hundred percent. And I don't tell them to like, you know, go like splurge or anything like that. And like divulge um, uh, into Oh, it's not wrong, but anyway, it's a uh, controlled decrease. Yeah, not um, just smash like all the horrible, like, you know, fast foods or anything. It's just I encourage them eat a lot, like get get a lot of good food in, get a lot of water in, get as much sleep in as possible because not only does sleep allow you to rebuild everything, it allows you to consolidate all the information that you've learned and then adapt to the stress. Yeah, one of the biggest things I see, especially in the MMA scene or, or just BJJ, is when you're going and you're doing six, seven sessions a week and they're two, two hours each, right? You might consolidate two out of the three, two or three out of seven of those sessions because not only are you fatigued, but you're probably dieting down and cutting for a, a comp. Yep. Um, your performance is decreasing. You're basically going in like a zombie. Yeah, pretty much. And I think that's one of the biggest things I see with the young athletes is they come in 
they they want to aggressively do a weight cut to make a certain weight to go to a fight, but like you know they're two, three, four weeks out from the fight, <laughs> they're just their training suffers. They're not learning anything because they can't mentally sustain it. Um, they're going into training groggy. Their recovery's down, so they're more susceptible to injuries. So whenever I see athletes coming in, it's for injuries. It's because they've either misloaded their recovery or then looking at their recovery factors which yeah. is important for us to consider when we're like you know coaching 100%. them and vice versa so. yeah it's it's like quite counterintuitive when you think about it you're coming into a comp just take it easy like that's that's what you want because everyone wants to ramp up and because they think more is like better which there's no correlation to that so you have to basically say look calm down this is what you need to do and they just need guidance and accountability and thinking you need to do this you need to hit this and just general guidance because a lot of time people just they can't really subjectively look at their own training and be like, all right, I needed this and that. It's more so they need to have a really good, like you, they need to be structured. Like, I don't know about you, but I'm like quite chaotic with my training. I don't have like, I've got like my life. No, I, I need a structure. See, I don't. Uh, well, I have like my, my structure in terms of bodybuilding, but I ramp it up. But then I'm- It's very intuitive. Also, it's very intuitive training. But then I'm also, I've been doing it for a really long time where I know how to bring myself back and- I can, I, I'm very self-aware of my That's body. lift is maturity. Yeah. So I know, like I did this really silly program. It was like a squat program. Like I would squat for 20 reps. And I got up to 140 kilos and it wouldn't even look like squats at that point, but I was just knocking them out. 12 weeks of that. And then I felt like tight. I would wake up and I'd be like, oh my God, I need to get it like a ball like in the back of my rhomboids because I'm stiff as that was just my nervous system just cramping and just being completely overloaded. And then I said, that's too much taper back. So having someone facilitate and sort of do that for you is why I recommend getting a coach. For sure. They will, a good coach will push you when you need to be pushed and dial you back when you need to be dialed back, but also analyze, you know, your training effectiveness. Absolutely. So yeah, they just, they just help. They just help because like they, you've got their goal in mind. You want to get there. You want to do all like all these different things, but they help put the blinkers on give you the, 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 the things that are necessary for your growth and success and eliminate all the other superfluous stuff. At, at the moment, my coach, I'm used to higher frequency in terms of my, my compound lifts, right? So my coach is giving me, well, I'm going in, I'm, tra- I'm squatting once a week, and I'm deadlifting once a week, right? So I'm used to doing two or three squat days a week and one primary comp deadlift day and one secondary deadlift day. Mm. And But what I'm loving at the moment is that I can go in, do just my one squat, my one rep and then my back offs and that is it. Same with deadlifts. I'm doing one rep, mm. top set, and then I'm doing two triples as back offs. And I'm going into each session way more recovered. The intensity is high, but the, the workout's uh, shorter. Mm. So I'm enjoying the workout training because I'm not, not banging my head against a brick wall trying to get through it. And then, yeah, the recovery is just so much better. So each session I'm going in feeling way more energetic less injured all right the prevalence of injuries decreased and just come off an injury so yeah you're gonna take it easy yeah <laughs> exactly and then it just comes down to having a coach that's got smart programming that takes into consideration all those aspects and not just gives you a bit of paper saying do these three by ten mm. and that is it you know There's so many coaches out there exactly i think it's a bit of a it's a programming is easy all right depending on what you use for wrestling and powerlifting and then for me it's mainly uh, rpe so perceived exertion because i'm gonna get i'm gonna have a day where i'm tired 
Yeah. And that, that RPE can be less than what it needs to be if I need to. Yeah. It's, it's, that's a great thing about that style of training, but I would never give it to a beginner. No, absolutely not. That's like, that comes with, like you said, lifting maturity. A beginner needs to know what a hard set feels like. They need to know failure. They need to know how to perform the movement. They need to know how to recover. They need to know how to like, just basically do all the, the, just basically get all the low hanging fruit, the meat and potatoes, that's get it. that nailed first. Like your, your, your general base. Then you start worrying about that. And then going into like powerlifting and weightlifting and stuff, you can look at percentages, right? And then RPE. I don't necessarily use RPE. I use the concept, like it's like a more of a bodybuilding concept. It's like if you're doing, oh, like I, for my, this is for my training. So I would go my like two, first two sets, working sets or whatever. I'll hit a lower rep range, maybe six reps. And then I would try and get the higher rep target on the last set or more. And that's basically like my mechanical failure. And if I could do that, I up the weight. So it's not, it's just, I like, I have a very intuitive based approach to training, which is good in terms of, and then I also challenge the RP a little bit in powerlifting because some people, if they hit a six, they're like, yeah, that felt really light. I could probably do But that shit. six might be different next week. Exactly. So you need to have, I think having RPE plus percentage-based training, which is what my program is. Yeah. So the, my top sets are RPE, but I use an RPE graph anyway. So I'll pull yeah. up that graph and I'll be like, oh, RPE six is 68% of my one RM yeah. or whatever. But, you know, I've got plenty of years of training behind me to know what an RPE six sh- should feel like. And I take into consideration, yeah. have I had a long day at work? I've been in the office for... 10 yeah, hours I've had for sure. lack of hydration but, um, nah, but yeah like some people like in, especially in powerlifting can be quite neurotic with numbers so if they hit a 6 they're like fuck I could do more and if they hit an 8 they're like oh shit that shouldn't have been an 8 that should have been a 7 so they become they overthink the numbers and then that's the problem that's the training. but that's the thing if you're going into a, comp- uh, a competition in powerlifting it's hard to not be neurotic uh, with those numbers because you're like I could have done more oh shit I should have done less but and then you worried but that's the thing. Everyone does. Like, oh, sorry, not everybody. Uh, there are, you know, it's, it's bell curve. So it's like a lot of people don't, and that's fine. Some people hit it and they just feel great. Sure, but I love just going in pushing. But I only do that because I know how. And I and I and that comes back to just like the individual. So you you know yourself, and you should let your coach kind of come in and see that bit of style of training as well. And, and and that's where a good communication between you and your coach is important. Like for me, very similar. I'll do, so I'll do my main movement, but then I'll do my, yeah, then I'll do my um, accessories. But my accessories are like, maybe I'll do two or three sets. That's it. But it's very high intensity. I'm not, I'm yeah. not wasting volume. So my recovery yeah. is the important part there as well. Yeah, exactly. So that's, no, that's really, really good. Um, so what we've covered today is basically like, you know, general programming and how we manage things, how we go into, uh, well, how Rohan specifically goes into competition, how we program for our athletes depending on their goal, what is really important for recovery. And how to like peak for these comps as well and things to take into consideration. So in our next episode of the podcast, we're going to be talking about sort of injury management injury, and the, yep. the navigation of those injuries while peaking for comps and while training as well. Exactly. How to mold and, and well, make the, like, which is really good because the program is always malleable, but how to change it in order to cater for um, someone's uh, injury and for general rehabilitation, which is what we do a lot of in the AFL as well, um, which is what I, like my background is uh, currently too. But that being said, that's the end of our podcast episode two. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Yes. Thank you so much for listening. And this would not be happening without you guys. So, but yeah, stay tuned for the next episode of Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> I made the round table, <laughs> the round table rehab and we will see you guys soon. Out.